Good morning and hello again today. Lifting the lockdown too early to ease up, says Boris Johnson. We look ahead to Taoiseach Varadkar's promised update on restrictions here. 30% rise in domestic abuse in some areas. How Europe is adjusting, we'll hear from Germany, Spain, Italy and Sweden. The future of work and the lessons of remote working. We begin a new series asking musicians about their go-to track during lockdown. Today it's Daniel O'Donnell. Also, Evelyn reports from the front line of bin collections. What disability representatives want from Simon Harris and author Mark O'Connell's timely new book, Notes from an Apocalypse. Email today at sor at rte.ie. Text us on 51551. And you can also tweet at today sor. Now, as we head towards the bank holiday weekend, the question everybody is asking is, might we be able to at least partially come out of the lockdown tomorrow week on Tuesday, the 5th of May? Looking around Europe, we can see other countries are starting to reopen in a limited way. We're wondering how and when most of us might be able to go back to something approaching normal life, if ever. The economy is in freefall, but many medics are warning that we need to be very careful that relaxing the lockdown doesn't bring on a second wave of COVID-19 infections. We'll hear more later from that news conference or statement on the steps of number 10 that uh, Boris Johnson made in the last hour or so. But I'm joined now by Carmen Regan, Senior Lecturer at the Royal College of Surgeons Ireland. She's a consultant in maternal fetal medicine at the Coombe Hospital in Dublin. Also joining us, Professor Alan Barrett, Director of the Economic and Social Research Institute. But first, I spoke earlier to Simon Carswell. He's Public Affairs Editor with the Irish Times and he began by telling me what we might expect to hear from Antishuk about an easing of restrictions come Friday. He wrote a lengthy piece on Saturday about the so-called hammer and dance. Yeah, the hammer and the dance is the hammer, the lockdown, the dance is how you get out of it. And the plan is, and, and the Taoiseach has made it clear that he wants to set out a roadmap uh, of how we will leave all of these lockdown restrictions that's keeping us apart. And so it's really baby steps for the coming weeks and indeed months. It's going to be quite a long time. It's not like the switch flicking introduction of these restrictions. They have to ease them in gently to see if there's any infection, rise in infections. And if there is, uh, they obviously have to reintroduce restrictions again. So the main ones they're looking at are around public movement in the first instance. So the two kilometre limit where you're advised not to go too kilometres from beyond, uh, beyond your home. There's talk uh, that it would go to five or ten kilometres. And I should stress that a lot of this is still yet to be decided. There seems to be quite a lot of debate amongst all the public health experts, the doctors who are advising government as to how quickly they should move and how far they should go in terms of lifting some of the restrictions. One of the key areas they're looking at is the over 70s. These are the people who have been advised to cocoon from the end of March. They've been effectively uh, under house arrest. Uh, and so what's going to be looked at is the possibility of actually trying to allow those over 70s, those cocooners to be able to leave their homes and they would do that maybe at certain hours of the day is what they're looking at. They would be advised to keep distance uh, from all, keep uh, away from all human contact and also there's a possibility they may be asked to wear a mask when they're out as well. But again, these are all things that are still being discussed. Is it possible that the state would make masks available? It's not clear uh, yet about that. I mean, there is an issue around the availability of masks, but we have seen in other countries where you know people have made their own masks. And the issue around masks is is not so much protecting yourself, but it's protecting you from others. So there's a kind of community effectiveness in it. Is every, if everyone wears masks, then everyone is protected. Uh, but th- again, this is something that's being looked at. The other thing that they're looking at is the possibility of uh, uh, having restricted hours in supermarkets for the over 70s. So there are particular hours of the day where only over 70s can 
go and they can maintain social distancing sure. within supermarkets. What about other businesses? Where are the restrictions likely to be eased? Well, in the first instance, you're going to see businesses, uh, what would have been regarded as non-essential, um, you're going to see businesses reopening where they can adhere to the strict physical distancing. So, so uh, retail outlets that can actually allow people to remain two metres apart from one another. So the likes of garden centres and hardware stores, some of the big uh, multiples uh, uh, outlets that they could reopen again because it is possible because some garden centres, part of their businesses are out, outside, they have big wide aisles. So some of those could be able to uh, adhere to strict uh, physical distancing. And uh, retail outlets that can do that, not just garden centres or hardware stores, but where you know big shops that they can accommodate that 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 could happen. In relation to schools, um, Simon Harris had indicated that we could see schools reopening for a day or two a week. Are we likely to get anything clearer on that in the coming days? They're looking at the possibility of of can they reopen schools for a very very partial initially reopening. So the likes of uh, children in in some classes would return uh, one day a week. So you'd have twenty percent of of school reopening, and then if that works, and if they uh, if they're able to test and contact trace and check that any of the relaxation measures aren't leading to infection rates rising, then they would look again at maybe increasing it further. A more pressing need from an education point of view is the Leaving Cert students whose Leaving Cert exams start now on July 29th. So there's, there's this discussion now as to whether they can let Leaving Cert students in for several weeks before those exams starts for, for revisions. But again, it would have to be on strict physical distancing. There would need to be distance between those students. So perhaps a class of 30, let's say, it might go back at 10 at one day, 10 the next. Now that raises all sorts of complications for teachers where they might have to teach the same class a number of times over the course of the week. But this would also help with trying to get students back and students may welcome it because it would allow them to be uh, to see their friends again and that's a that's a big issue around what's driving the relaxation of these measures is that uh, the mental health aspect um, one thing that they are looking at with uh, families is that the possibility of allowing the over 70s and older people to uh, to be able to expand their family network so where they're cocooning now in a household they the discussions are looking at well can we expand that to create uh, a family network where uh, a mother or father might be able to see their son or daughter's family or their niece or nephew's family and similar to what's happening in New Zealand where they're expanding from um, opening it up into a family bubble. It's they're, they're, they're doing it in terms of increasing the size of bubbles to allow more people into those bubbles. And what about sport? What kind of sport uh, do you think people might be able to look forward to seeing resume? Well, where you're looking at social distancing being maintained, the obvious ones would be outdoor non-contact sports, non-team sports, um, non-contact sports, the likes of golf, uh, which uh, Dr. Sam O'Conkey, the infectious diseases specialist, has said there's a natural level of social distancing in golf because you're swinging the club. Uh, Likewise, tennis is a possibility that tennis could come back because there's the physical distance of being the other side of a net. So you could adhere to those to those distance rules uh, and then other other uh, sports like you know, individuals sailing things like that um, and the possibility of you know outdoor outdoor sports of, of any kind where you can maintain that social distance you're also writing about the importance of tests uh, both at the weekend and again today whether the HSE can match the expectations of the medical experts advising government yes testing is critical the 
the plan to get these 100,000 tests a week is essential. If you're going to start relaxing some of the lockdown measures, you need to be able to test to see if they're having an effect. And you can only do that if there is quick turnaround testing time so that within a 24-hour period, you know that if these relaxation measures are leading to infection rates, that you can reverse them. Now, that raises all sorts of difficult issues around the confidence and credibility in uh, government, in the, the NEFIT and the emergency, emergency team's decision to lift the lockdown measures. But unless you're testing to find out whether that critical or not, that reinfection rate, where that infection rate is rising, uh, you're not going to be able to measure. You can't manage what you, you can't measure is the problem. So they really they really need it to be, uh, to be very, uh, very uh, quick turnaround timing on testing. Simon Carswell, Public Affairs Editor with the Irish Times. Thank you indeed. And we'll speak a little later, by the way, to the Lord Mayor of Dublin, Tom Brabazon, who says that he's horrified to see people gathering for street parties. Uh, he witnessed uh, quite a bit of that over the weekend. But uh, let's go now to Dr. Carmen Regan, Senior Lecturer of, uh, sorry, at the RCSI and Consultant in Maternity uh, Fetal Medicine at the Coombe Women's and Infants Hospital in Dublin. Carmen, just what you heard there from Simon and, um, you know, there's also an expectation, for instance, that there will be a, a return to work, at least in some elements of the construction industry. What do you make of the indications we're getting so far? Well, I suppose, um, Sean, the big concern I have or would have is around asymptomatic infection and pre-symptomatic transmission of the disease. And that is considered, uh, the asymptomatic rate is considered in the region between 50 and 80 percent. So that's very high. And what that means is that people may have the uh, virus and not know it ever. Um, and we don't know that these people can or cannot transmit the virus. We suspect that they may be able to. We certainly know that people who are pre-symptomatic, who have the virus before they have symptoms, will shed that virus and are potentially contagious. So that is why social distancing works. And that's why it's likely to be with us for quite some time. And I suppose any um, emergence out of the suppression phase will have to understand that in order to keep uh, hold on the virus, we need to have very rapid turnaround time and comprehensive testing. And so, as I understand it, we are going to be at a level of 100,000 tests per week, but only by the middle of May from what I heard at the weekend. So, in order to be able to assess the resurgence of the virus, as Simon said, we need to be able to turn that test around quickly in order to I suppose, isolate and contact trace those individuals and keep a hold on the virus. Remember that this virus is capable of spreading very rapidly. Indeed. And all modelling, yeah. I was going to ask you, uh, would you have an issue, for instance, with um, people resuming uh, tennis or or golf, uh, which, as we know, they're non-contact sports? I suppose, no, as long as they were careful about hand hygiene in that regard, because that's important. You handle a tennis ball and, you know, I don't know how close you'd be to somebody playing playing golf. But So I I think we will have to emerge in a different way and allow those kinds of things to happen. It does have to be that way because we can't stay indoors forever. And indeed, I suppose in relation to the over 70s, I do think that they will allow them out for walks and uh, limited access to shops with masks and so forth. And I think that's probably going to be the new norm. It has to be um, because we do have to emerge. But I suppose we are in a containment phase, but we still have a lot of new cases emerging. And I would be very hopeful that we would at least get the testing up to speed um, with a large number of tests and a rapid turnaround time. 
And I suppose in terms of testing, who do you test? I think we will have to test at-risk groups and that they would include as obviously residential um, home um, citizens and healthcare workers would be also important in that. And there's an argument for testing pregnant women. I mean, that is one cohort of women who have to access healthcare and we cannot postpone pregnancy. We know that in one study done in New York, when they tested universally during the pandemic, they found that by 1.6% of women were symptomatic about 13% were asymptomatic. So there's a big proportion of people who are asymptomatic, who will be attending hospitals, who will need care. And that poses risks to them, but also to the healthcare workers. So if you have somebody who needs to have an emergency cesarean infection and has the condition pre-symptomatically and don't take adequate uh, precautions, um, then that possibly takes 17 people out of the workforce because of contact. And they will have to remain out for 40 yeah. days and it, they, they carry the risk of getting infection. So there's a lot of joined up thinking that needs to go around whom we test and how we test, how we communicate that testing and the rapidity of the testing. And Pro- that's something that we need to work on. Proceed with caution, obviously, being the watchword. Um, Alan Barrett, um, I suppose to an extent uh, there's um, a balance or a trade off between lives and livelihoods. Well, there, there is to an extent, uh, but I think we need to be careful uh, the, the, the way we sort of set up that apparent trade-off. I mean, let, to, to be clear about this, um, if the virus was to start spreading sort of very dramatically again in, in, in the population in the, in the context of the easing of the restrictions, uh, no economy is going to function well uh, if you have, uh, you know, a, a, a rampant um, epidemic and if people are very, very fearful about, about uh, sort of being out and about. So I, I, I do sometimes think the, the this trade-off is is put in in slightly too stark a term, uh, but but having said all that, I think for for quite a while, um, or when, at least the last number of weeks, uh, it seems like a, a long time in the context of the pandemic. But economists, I, I, I think, we're increasingly trying to apply uh, the type of tools that we would typically use in this situation, which which is to look at sort of trade-offs. Uh, and some of the discussion that was being held when we we were asking this question about easing restrictions, uh, would it be possible, you know, to think in terms of well, what easing could you do that would give you the maximum economic impact uh, while minimising the risk in terms of the easing of um, you know, easing of restrictions and minimising the risk of the, the pandemic uh, running away? It's been very difficult to actually put any sort of a framework like that together. Uh, one of the reasons being that we just don't have a really a good understanding yet as to how the easing of the restrictions uh, will lead to increased risks in terms of the pandemic uh, r- running riot again. Um, all Essentially, all countries are looking at one another and nobody has the answer to this. So there's, there's you know various bits of experimentation happening in a whole range of countries. All countries are then looking in to see uh, what, what will happen. But unfortunately, nobody really has a, a clear sense of what's the best way of doing this. Alan, if it remains the case that whatever restrictions are eased or lifted, social distancing, this physical distancing of of two metres just has to be part of every possible arrangement. Now, could they throw it back to businesses, be they garden centres or DIY stores or whatever, and say you can resume business or resume trade provided you are sure that you can have social distancing? 
Yeah, I think that's sort of part of the, the modelling that's emerging. Again, a number of weeks ago, uh, we were thinking in terms of decisions coming from central government about what sectors would open and, and when this would happen. Uh, but again, back to the point about us sort of having to develop our understandings here, I think increasingly government are actually, rather than trying to make the decision in a very centralised sort of way, are increasingly looking out to businesses and sort of saying, well, do you think you can operate in a social distancing context? And where you start... Uh, um, emerging then quickly as you move down that direction is rather than saying, you know, thinking that a particular sector will open at a particular time, the issue is for, say, if you take the restaurant sector, some restaurants might have the physical infrastructure that they're able to open where others are not. Likewise, the construction sites and a whole range of other sectors. So it is a, it's, it's a different sort of mindset. You know, it's, it's a sort of more a bottom-up approach to this rather than the, the top-down. But just to add a, a couple of points uh, on this, with all the opening, um, uh, you know, easing of restrictions and the allowing of businesses to open, there are two big constraints that remain. Uh, one is public transport. Okay, in the sense of how do you actually get people to their workplaces in a, in a socially distanced way? And obviously anybody in Dublin, for example, who's used the Lewis or the Dart, you know, around eight in the morning will know that the, the, that's going to be a very tricky one. The other thing to remember here is... Um, with schools still off, the, the childcare elements of this are still extremely difficult. And so, again, it's not entirely clear the, the, the flexibility people will have. And there's just one additional consideration I'd like to ask. When we have these discussions around the economics of the restrictions, we always focus on the businesses that are actually closed. Now, while there are a range of people working from home, I think there's a general sort of acceptance that they're probably not working at full productivity. So there is a sort of a, there's an economic cost to this group. And it could be that, you know, again, this is the group who are looking after kids or, well, they can do an awful lot. They, they can't do absolutely everything that they were previously doing. So there is a sort of a productivity and an economic cost for that group as right. well. Right. If I could turn to uh, the Lord Mayor of Dublin, Tom Brabazon. Tom, good morning. Lord Mayor, good morning to you. Um, you say you, you witnessed party fever in Dublin over the weekend. What did you see? Well, uh, about uh, six o'clock on Saturday evening, I picked up a message on my phone here at home and uh, there was a gentleman from one of my, uh, in the, the wider parish, had left a message uh, saying that there was a, uh, a cabaret type of effort going on in his street and he was very concerned that social distancing hadn't been uh, observed. So uh, it, it was close by to where I lived, so I, I, I took a spin around in the car and had a look and I just was absolutely gobsmacked to see crowds of people um, in gardens. They're, they're, judging by the numbers that were in the gardens, they weren't all from the same family. They were drinking beer, carousing, having a great time all together and social distancing was gone out the window. Uh, and I was subsequently forwarded uh, some uh, footage uh, on WhatsApp of that particular area. And then I got further phone calls from other estates saying that there was parties going on in houses uh, in, in those estates as well and social distancing wasn't being observed and that the music was being played quite loud etc. Now, that's not to say, Sean, that there aren't uh, there are people who are, who are in position to enjoy themselves and are observing social distancing. Yeah, there was, a, it, there was a report in the news last night I saw people in Ringsend out in the street dancing, but they seem to be socially distancing and uh, just relaxing. That's not one of the areas you were talking about, or is it? No, it's not. No, I hadn't any reports from there, but um, the, the, the vast majority of people are complying with social distancing, but they're, they're, this is just, uh, you know, foolish. And one of the streets that were there, 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 there 
there is a, an age cohort in the 70s upwards, uh, you know, quite prevalent on this particular street. So I just thought, you know, you're putting your, these people were putting their neighbours in danger and I, I, I felt it was very selfish uh, behaviour on their part. Did you say anything to the people, suggest maybe they disperse or, or did you call the guards? Well, the guard, the guardie had been called um, by, by the gentleman who contacted me um, already. Uh, so they were they, they were they were on the way. So there wasn't there wasn't any role for me to uh, intervene uh, at that time. But uh, nonetheless, the the the, the behaviour itself was just incredible and unbelievable. Okay, well, look, thank you very much indeed uh, for that um, uh, contribution, Tom Brabazon. Our thanks as well to Professor Alan Barrett and to Dr. Carmen Regan.